It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Talked a great deal yesterday. Sandy Rios with you. Good morning. We talked a great deal yesterday about uh, schools not opening. And we've been talking about that for a couple of days and how teachers are refusing to go back. Uh, the unions are demanding that they have vaccinations. We talked about the increase in child suicide uh, and uh, child abuse. It's just so shocking. And if anyone asks you if you don't wear a mask and they accuse you of killing people because you don't wear a mask, you can tell them that you are resisting this unscientifically based restriction on our country, the social distancing, which has no scientific back backing, the distance you're supposed to stay away from people, uh, and the masks out of the mouth of Anthony Fauci himself are only used to make you feel better unless they're the M95, and that's a different situation. Uh, but um, the reason you are not cooperating is because this has to stop. Because people are losing their lives. Children are killing themselves because they are isolated and alone. Uh, the child abuse, uh, all of that. Uh, people are, uh, adults are committing suicide because they're losing their jobs, their businesses. This has to stop. You are saving lives by resisting what's happening right now. Okay, so yesterday I found it was really interesting because we're talking about education and that the new appointee uh, to lead the Department of Education was being uh, let's say, reviewed by the senators. And so Rand Paul decided to have an interaction with the new nominee, and I wanted you to hear it. Here it is. The Office of Civil Rights uh, sent a letter to Connecticut saying that uh, boys can't compete with girls in, in sports or so they shouldn't be forced here? to allow boys to compete in girls' sports. Uh, if you're confirmed, will you enforce that Office of Civil Rights opinion? Hello, Senator. Uh, thank you for the question. I understand that there are a, a lot of concerns about that. Uh, it's, it's, if confirmed, it's my responsibility and my uh, privilege to make sure that we're following uh, our civil rights of all students. And that includes uh, activities that they may engage in in high school or in athletics. What do you think in general about boys running in girls' track meets like they've been doing in Connecticut? I think that it's critically important that Educate, education systems and educators respect the rights of all students, including students who are transgender, um, and that they are afforded the opportunities that every other student has to uh, participate in extracurricular activities. Does it bother you that, like, the top 20% of boys running in track meets beat all of the girls in the state and that it, you know, would be, you know, completely destroy girls' athletics, that girls are being pushed out, um, they don't make the finals in the state meet, they don't get college scholarships, that it's really detrimental to girls' sports? Do you worry about having boys running girls' track meets? You know, I, I recognize and appreciate the concerns um, and the uh, frustrations that are expressed. I've 
as Commissioner of Education, have had conversations with families uh, who have felt the way you just described it, and families of uh, students who are transgender. So I understand that this is a challenge. I look forward to working with you and others to Do you think it's fair to have boys running in the girls' track, mate? I think it's appropriate for, it's, I think it's, it's the legal responsibility of schools to provide opportunities for students to uh, participate in activities, and this includes students who are transgender. So you don't have a problem then with boys running in the girls' track meet, swimming meets, name it. You're okay then with boys competing with girls? Respectfully, Senator, I think I answered the question. I believe schools should offer the opportunity for students to engage in extracurricular activities, even if they're transgender. I think that's their right. All right, so that was Senator Rand Paul interacting with the education secretary under President Joe Biden nominee Miguel Cardona responding to what he thinks about boys participating in girls' sports and certainly the opposite, girls participating in boys' sports. I think, you know, women NFL players, maybe that's the next thing on the horizon. It certainly should be. All right, so uh, Rand goes on because I I want you to hear the the coda to this where Rand sort of puts his stamp on his analysis of this because it represents really what all of us that have rational minds think. This is Senator Rand Paul. Let's listen. A lot of us think that that's bizarre, you know, not very fair. You know, I come from a family that has a lot of girls who have been, have competed in college athletics, who have been state champions, and frankly, you know, some boy that's six foot two competing against my five foot four niece doesn't sound very fair. I think most people in the country think it's bizarre, you know, that it's just (laughs) completely bizarre and unfair that people, and you're going to run the Department of Education, you've got no problem with it. Um, That concerns me. And I I think this kind of thing is going to lead to really just the vast majority of America just wondering who are these people that think it's okay? From what planet are you from? I mean, to think it's okay that boys would compete with girls in a track meet, that that somehow would be fair. Um, I wonder where feminists are on this. I wonder where the people who supported women's sports are on this. I mean, we all going to be okay with hulking six foot four guys, you know, wrestling against girls? Do it, you know? Com- it just makes no sense whatsoever. And so, I think the fact that you seem to be afraid to answer the question, or you basically do answer the question by saying it's okay without saying it's okay really is a statement to a a real problem we have and uh, a disconnect between what middle America and what most Americans actually believe. I even think most Democrats don't believe girls should run in the the boys' track meet. Uh, You know, boys should run in the girls' track meet. So I'm disappointed in the answer, and uh, I just can't imagine that we're going to have a policy like that nationally. Yes, so that was Rand Paul speaking the truth. Uh, And that was Miguel Cardona speaking ridiculous fantasy that is going to be foisted on all of America. And that kind of is a companion to the story yesterday, an op-ed published in the New York Times by tech writer Kevin Roos, who is recommending to President Biden that he appoint a reality czar as a part of an effort to combat, quote, disinformation and tamp down potential unrest. And he writes, I worry that unless the Biden administration treats conspiracy theories and disinformation like boys can't compete in girls' sports if they think they're girls uh, as the urgent threats that they are, our parallel universes will only 
universes will only drift further apart and the potential for violent unrest and civic dysfunction will only grow. So we need a reality czar to help us, you know, understand what the new realities are. And there's a little meme here in my hand. It says, did George Orwell get the year wrong? And they're referring to George Orwell's book, 1984. So um, if you have never read that, it's time to check that out, order it. Uh, read it, give it to your children so they can understand because the future is pretty scary under the leadership of Joe Biden and the um, really untethered from reality leftist, hard communist influence uh, that wants to completely radically, as Barack Obama said, transform the United States of America. You're watching it. We're living it. Okay, so... Yesterday, we talked about what was happening in Congress, some very interesting dramas playing out. Remember AOC? In fact, we'll just play a little bit of it because she had such a terrible experience. Let's play clip five. Yells of these men, or just this a man, just one man, going, where is she? Where is she? I start to look through the door hinge to see if I can see anything. And there's like a door here and there's like another door okay, here. So okay, like, okay, so she I'm goes like, on and on and she claims this man came in and yelled and she was scared to death. But then finally at the end of that, she admits that it was a policeman. Um, so she develops, she said she was uh, nearly assassinated by the rioters. She blamed Ted Cruz for, uh, you know, uh, um, inciting people that wanted to murder her and other people in the Capitol. But... It's, you know what? It's really too bad because we're finding out today that according to a congresswoman who has a uh, office two doors down from her, she wasn't actually even in the Capitol. She wasn't in the Capitol when that happened. She was in another office building that's uh, not there. It's a, it's, a, no, it's a separate building altogether. That's where she was. It's a, a congresswoman, Nancy Meigs from uh, South Carolina. Uh, She says, AOC made clear she didn't know who was at her door. Breathless attempts by the media to fan fictitious news flames are dangerous. My office is two doors down. Insurrectionists never stormed our hallway. Egregious doesn't even begin to cover it. Is there nothing the mainstream media media won't politicize? So AOC wasn't even in the Capitol, just so you know. But, you know, she's okay with the Democrats serving in Congress. She's, she's fine. She's calling for Ted Cruz to be, uh, you know, she's accusing him of murder, attempted murder. Uh, and I think uh, Josh Hawley as well. Um, but the person that's the real villain in Congress is Marjorie Taylor Greene, the uh, new congresswoman from uh, northwest Georgia who tweeted and liked things that were conspiracy theories. And they were. Some of them were QAnon. Some of them were just wild ideas, and so um, she must be destroyed. But the problem is her mostly, and we played this yesterday, is that Marjorie, I think, in her early years of awareness of what was going on in the world, you know, did she didn't know. Most people don't have sources of information. Uh, as I said, like, uh, I'm in a unique position because I have, I have had so many, I've been in D.C. for a very long time, but a person like Marjorie who's beginning to see things in the com- country fall apart doesn't know where to get information. That's why a lot of people have embraced QAnon and other things. Because I have to tell you that the reality, the reality that we're facing now is more bizarre than QAnon's theories. So, you know, it's hard to discern between what's, you know, what's real bizarre and false bizarre. So 
Marjorie Greene did, yes, embrace some weird stuff and retweeted and maybe liked. It's a long time ago, but she did it. She did it, but she did it. And so, you know, she must be destroyed, but she must be destroyed not because of that. She must be destroyed because she uh, campaigned on against socialism. Uh, she campaigned for Donald Trump. She campaigned for a strong economy. She made perfect sense when she laid out her platform, perfect sense. I think she's uh, come to understand, you know, what the real problems are. And so in the middle of the GOP meeting last night where they were talking about stripping her from her committee assignments, uh, she apologized for her past controversial remarks and her embrace of the QAnon conspiracy theory, uh, and she actually got a standing ovation. Kevin McCarthy did not remove her from her committee assignments, and he said uh, uh, several things, but one thing, he said, while Democrats pursue a resolution on Congresswoman Green, they continue to do nothing about Democrats serving on the Foreign Affairs Committee who have spread anti-Semitic tropes. That's like Ilhan Omar. She's done worse than that. Rashida Tlaib's done worse than that. She's actually um, worked with Islamic uh, terrorists, uh, people who really blatantly hate this country and want to undermine it. She's buddies with them. Uh, and then Ilhan Omar has done also same thing. Her ties back to communists and Islamists are frightening. And then, of course, we have Eric uh, Swalwell, who you know is very close to a communist spy who was just outed. We know all about that, and yet they put him back on the, I believe it's the Foreign Relations Committee. It's the committee that knows all the scoop because he's, uh, you know, he's still right there. And that's okay with the Democrats. But uh, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has tweeted or liked various uh, conspiracy theories, uh, she must be destroyed. So Kevin McCarthy and the Republican Conference stood behind Marjorie. And uh, I'm glad that they did, and they need to be applauded for that. Now, tonight, the Democrats are planning to force a vote to strip Marjorie uh, from all of her committees. Anyway. I, I don't, you know, they have the majority uh, in the Congress, not by much, maybe 10 seats, something like that. Uh, but we'll see what happens. And um, people of Georgia take note. People of the United States, Democrats take note. I think your party has gone off the rails. And any of you who are honest brokers, you may have hated Trump, but really, surely, this is not what you bargained for. All right, I'm going to take a break, and when we come back, I have something really important I want to share with you. We are going to open the phone lines in a little bit, so uh, just stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. So there's this guy, and his name is Jose, and he's healthy, he's got a happy family, he's busy running his own payroll company in Texas, goes to the doctor and gets news you never want to hear, cancer. And here's the thing, he had switched from medical insurance to MediShare, which is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry. So the question for Jose and his wife Estrella was, is this really going to work? Especially after they got hit with an $85,000 bill. That bill was paid so fast that it was amazing. We didn't have to worry. They paid right away. All his doctor visits, it was just amazing. So yes, MediShare works. And a typical family saves $500 a month when they switch to MediShare. But it's not just about the money. Just to have believers knowing that they're praying for you, you know, you it just it melted your heart. And I tell you, I, I have nothing, nothing but great things to say about Medishare. Why wait? You can call now, 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for President Joe Biden. As president, he's responsible for the prosperity, well-being, and security of our country. And he represents freedom and democracy on the world stage. Philippians 2.3 reminds us of the qualities of a good leader. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for President Joe Biden as he leads our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Pray with us as we cover the President's first 100 days in prayer and lift up the nation to God's will. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary sponsored by Truett McConnell University. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. There's a big problem in America, folks. Most millennials do not have a biblical worldview. You say, Todd, why is that a big problem? Well, take a good look at what's happening in the streets of American cities, the chaos and the carnage, evidence of a morally bankrupt society. The Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University conducted a survey that showed only 2% of millennials share a biblical worldview. Now, a biblical worldview means believing that absolute moral truth exists and that truth is defined by the Bible. It would be wise to remember the words of John Adams, our second president. He once said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Be sure to listen to my national radio show live noon to 3 Eastern or download my free podcast at ToddStarns.com. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. I, uh, there's something important I wanted to talk to you. I've, I've sort of touched on it. I have touched on it for a couple of days, but not really gone into it. And I feel I need to because... Um, many of you, probably most of you who are listening, this didn't used to be true of my audiences uh, when I was on the air in Chicago. I had a much more diverse audience in terms of faith and belief and, uh, you know, all, you know, all kinds of things. And so we, uh, I couldn't assume anything, and I didn't. It was kind of a, an evangelistic opportunity for me to talk about the news and politics and uh, it was, it was really, I loved it. I loved it. But now I love what I'm doing because I feel like the body of Christ, uh, who most of you are part of, uh, needs, we need to really think through some issues that are coming at us hard. And I'm uh, just praying that God will give me the wisdom to help you as we navigate these waters. That is what I'm praying. I pray it every morning, and I pray it all the time. Uh, this is a sacred trust, and uh, God has placed me here for this time. I know that. So with all the experience I've had, and um, it, uh, I, I cannot waste it, and I won't. So um, I talked to you about the, the latest threat is now, certainly Donald Trump was hated. He was a, uh, 
an unrighteous man are as our <laughs> he was an unrighteous man he had an unrighteous righteous past um who stood for righteousness he stood for um he defended god and the rights for churches to be free uh he defended life in so many ways you have no idea how many regulations and rules were put in place by his uh, HHS department to preserve the sanctity of human life. You just don't, I couldn't even tell you all of them. Internationally, uh, he did some great things uh, for the cause of Christ. What his personal relationship is, I never have declared. I I have a hunch, uh, but he's a man with an unrighteous past who has stood for righteousness. So, um, but he must be destroyed because he did that and because his philosophy of America first and American exceptionalism and America's history being restored and honoring the flag and celebrating Christmas, all of those things that were traditionally American and the strong military were things he fought to restore and made tremendous progress doing all of that. But the left hates that too. They hate, they have done this all over the globe. They have, when the communist left, when they come in to take over a country, they erase its history. They erase its customs. That's why people in North Korea or Russia in the past, before the Soviet Union broke up, or Red China, wore these little military-like uniforms, even regular people. The native costumes were discouraged, the native customs And people, children, were not taught their customs and practices because they must be untethered from the past so that they can be controlled and look to government as their god. That is the goal. Uh, It's a godless future that the left wants, complete control by them and godlessness. So anyone who stands in the way of that must be destroyed. Donald Trump was one of those people. He had to be destroyed, and they very nearly have succeeded. I don't think they're done with him. Uh, but they've harmed him and caused him not to be reelected when I think he really was reelected by the American people. So all these things that you're seeing, remember that when you can't understand policies, the goal is not to have good policy. The goal is to destroy. And once you get that in your head, you understand uh, more clearly why it makes perfect sense because it's all meant for destruction. And so... um. All right, so now, as I have mentioned this week, the focus on the people who should be hated has narrowed. It first narrowed after the January 6th incident at the Capitol. It narrowed to, uh, look, it's Trump supporters aren't just nice people waving flags, coming to these rallies, listening to this great music, uh, you know, having fun with Donald Trump. Now uh, they are demonized because they are by association, because the media has associated them with all whatever malfeasance or lawlessness took took, took place in the Capitol by what I believe was infiltrators like uh, the gentleman we talked about yesterday, uh, who was an Antifa uh, leader. But uh, that'll get me off track. But But so now we are all, they're trying to smear every person that supported Donald Trump, all 72 million, probably more million uh, it's an, it's important to dehumanize and target you, uh, to turn your neighbors against you, because otherwise they can't move forward. You are a tremendous obstacle. But at the backbone of that obstacle 
it's all, all kinds of people. It's former Democrats. It's uh, gay people. It's all kinds of people. Uh, but at the core of it, uh, much of the passion and probably the courage comes from Christians who recognized what was at stake here and fought and mobilized and prayed and repented and did things uh, got active in politics, uh, trying to save their country, uh, to give a better future for their children, to preserve uh, righteous laws. Uh, that's why they fought. But what's happening now, of course, is they are diminishing, not diminishing is too kind, uh, they are distorting uh, the goals there to make it uh, a word, Christian nationalism, which... Uh, I'll just now, I want to read to you now a couple of things that came out this week to develop this further because uh, you need to know what's happening. Uh, you know, I, I, what does Paul say? Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. And so if you listen to this show, you will not be ignorant and you will be prepared and you can tell your children and you will recognize things as they unfold. One of the things that saved the Soviet Union, and of course saving, it was 60 years under the repression of communism, but as I told you, when I was in Russia in 1990, before the breakup of the Soviet Union, and did all kinds of interviews with ballerinas, neurologists, KGB agents, every single person, without exception, told me that they had had a grandmother who told them about God. And that was illegal. And they never forgot. They didn't necessarily believe him, but they were they had an awareness. Uh, so... Uh, Make sure that the awareness of truth stays alive in your heart and in your mind and in your families. Uh, and uh, so, all right, so this is the Christian nationalism now as expressed by, uh, now it's coming from within what technically would be considered from the outside our ranks, uh, people that um, you, uh, turn against their own people or, uh, you, uh, I wish I could, the one thing I forgot to pull was Wheaton College statement. I don't know if it's an official Wheaton College statement, but 200 staffers and uh, and some professors signed it, talking about how horrific it is that Christians supported Donald Trump and how they need to repent. Uh, so that happened a couple of weeks ago. Now, this is an article by the AP. The Christian imagery and rhetoric on view during this month's Capitol insurrection are sparking renewed debate about the societally of societal effects a melding Christian faith with an exclusionary breed of nationalism. The rioters who breached the Capitol on January the 6th, leading to federal charges against more than 130 people so far, included several people carrying signs with Christian messages. And a video showed one man in a fur hat and horns leading others in a prayer inside the Senate chamber. Now, let me just pause to say that that guy with the fur hat, with horns, they say was leading prayer inside the chamber, is an environmental shaman. But he is the one, and he's the one that looks so goofy, bizarre, you see in all the pictures, he is their, like, prototype, prototypical Christian involved in that, what they call, insurrection. He is, you know, he's one of the people there, the Christian nationalists, like that guy with the fur and the horns, you see. That's their illustration. The rise of what's often called Christian nationalism has long prompted pushback from leaders in multiple denominations. 
with the Baptist Joint Committee on Religious Liberty forming the Christians Against Christian Nationalism Coalition in 2019. Now, let me interject before I go on. The Baptist Joint Committee uh, is not affiliated with Southern Baptists, okay, officially affiliated, so just so you don't get confused as I go along here. But they formed this committee, Christians Against Christian Nationalism, this coalition. But in the immediate wake of the insurrection, other Christian leaders spoke out to denounce what they saw as the misuse of their faith to justify a violent attack on a seat of government. Russell Moore, president of the public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, said that when he saw a Jesus saves sign displayed near a gallows built by rioters, I was enraged to a degree that I haven't been enraged in memory. This is not only dangerous and unpatriotic, but also blasphemous. Presenting a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ that isn't the gospel and is instead its exact reverse. Now, let me insert here what I said a few days ago, but I want to repeat it. You might say, well, that is bad. That would be bad. If there were a gallows and they were putting Jesus saves next to it, and that was their point, that's really pretty disturbing, isn't it? But... um. I have been around the block a few times, and I know how people that are enemies of the faith, and even some that are just clueless, can use stuff like this to distort, and how people like Russell Moore love to use that as their illustrations. And I'll give you an example. Firsthand, I was there. I was at the foot of the Supreme Court the day they decided that gay marriage was legal. I was there among all of the demonstrators, all the various factions. I was there among the people advocating for gay marriage. I was there among uh, Christians who were speaking out against it. I was there when the Westboro Church folk, who are the cult from Kansas, who uh, who hold up signs like, I'm not sure I should say this word at this point. It's the word that starts with an F that has to do with uh, homosexuals. I'm not sure if it's become... I don't want to be care. I want to be careful here, but they say horrible, vile things about how gays should be killed. Uh, but there, it's Westboro Church, you see. So of course, you know, you don't know. It's bizarre. We've always wondered if they were not funded by the left. If we only knew their connection, it's certainly not from Jesus. It's from the pit of hell. So, but Russell Moore, who was evidently there with me somewhere, wandering around. That was his illustration of how Christians were responding to gay marriage. And at that time, he was shocked, shocked, just shocked, horrified by what Christians were doing at the base of the Supreme Court. Not a mention of the real Christians there speaking out. I was one of them. Not a single mention of that. It was Westboro Church. That's the illustration he used. And I want to tell you right now, I do not believe for a minute that Russell Moore is stupid. I do not believe for a minute he was fooled by Westboro Church or that he thought these were genuine Christians. If this is indeed what happened, there was a guillotine with Jesus saves next to it, that he really believes that that was an example of the kinds of people who love Jesus, who supported Donald Trump and went to that rally on the 6th and supported Donald Trump because they knew what was going to happen if Joe Biden was elected president, like the education secretary whose exchange with Rand Paul over allowing men to compete in girls' sports. Uh, That's our future. That's our reality. That's why Christians fought so hard. They understood that. So, Russell Moore, and you say, uh, what? I was enraged to a degree I haven't enraged in memory. 
He was not enraged about gay marriage being passed. He was enraged by Westboro Church holding up their vile signs, the lying, you know, pit of hell Westboro Church, quote-unquote, but not about the installation of gay marriage. He wasn't really outraged, you know, when all those riots took place and policemen were being killed last summer and last spring. I don't—he I, wasn't enraged, but this, this, folks, this really enraged him. I'm going to go on. Dwight McKissick, uh, a leading black Southern Baptist pastor who has publicly criticized the denomination's leaders' handling of racial justice, urged them in a tweet to also denounce this flagrant display of white Christian nationalism. White Christian nationalism. So now it's it's, it's more. All of us that are white, uh, we are by default uh, wicked and enemies of Dwight McKissick, who was a black Southern Baptist pastor, and, um, you know, Dwight and Russell have been all about critical race theory, which pits people, Christians especially, against each other as though our color is a barrier to our bond in the Lord Jesus Christ, as though all black Christians are victims and all white Christians are oppressors. That's what Christian critical race theory teaches. This is so twisted. It is so twisted. I'm going to go on. Um, So Christians Against Christian Nationalism describes Christian nationalism as an ideology that demands Christianity be privileged by the state and implies that to be a good American, one must be a Christian. Let me just say that being an American and being a Christian are entirely separate categories. Anyone who embraces the Constitution, the American foundings and its ideals can be an American, that we are one of the only nation on earth. Even Abraham Lincoln remarked about that, where people can come from all over, all kinds of countries, all different colors, all different backgrounds, and embrace America's ideals, constitutional ideals, its founding, and become an American. There's no litmus test for your faith. But most Christian, most Americans claim to be Christian because that is the root from which we spring. It is who our founding fathers were. It's who our parents were. It is in tr- our Constitution was based on Christian principles, our Bill of Rights. Yes, that's true. But that's not the same thing as saying that in order to be a good American, you must be a Christian. Christians know that Christianity is a choice. Receiving Christ is not forced upon or foisted upon people. So this is just complete nonsense and yet that's the basis upon which they are now targeting us for destruction i might add sandy rios in the morning on afr talk today's culture is opting for entertainment rather than biblical enlightenment for those who resist that trend friends of israel shows listeners why loving the jewish people and supporting israel is important to the christian faith Friends of Israel shares biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah and promotes solidarity with the Jewish people. This is Chris Katolka of the Friends of Israel Today radio program heard each weekend on this station, and here's what's happening in Israel. Friends of Israel, Saturday afternoon at 2, here on American Family Radio. On the next Today's Issues. We appreciate hearing from you. You can send us an email at comments at AFR.net. I pastor a small church, so I have to have a full-time job on the side. Uh, When I try to feed the flock, y'all feed me, and I thank God for y'all. If you want to uh, watch the show live, you can go to Facebook or YouTube. Just type in Today's Issues. 
and you can also access the stories that we talk about. Don't miss the next Today's Issues, weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to the most recent reports provided by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, researchers looked at fertility rates for women of all age groups and ethnicities and found the nationwide rate was 16% lower than what is needed for a population to replace itself. There has been much discussion about the demographic winter in various European countries. Well, that demographic winter has reached the United States. The first command God gave mankind in Scripture was be fruitful. But man has the penchant to fancy his own ways over God's. Rejecting God's ways always carries severe consequences. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. If you're looking for the systemic racism regressives keep blathering on about, look no further than San Francisco. Lowell High School is the premier public school in the city. To get in, a student must have top grades and a top score on the school's admission test. But there was one problem in today's relentlessly racist culture. Too many Asian students were getting admitted. Admitted because of demonstrated academic excellence. That's not racism, that's merit. But that's all over now because too many people of one skin color have been admitted, even though they earned it, Lowell is now going to scrap its entrance standards altogether. So now they'll discriminate across the board systematically against Asian students because of the color of their skin. Now that sounds like systemic racism to me. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. President Joe Biden lays out today his foreign policy priorities. At the moment, they seem to be characterized by one principle, not Trump. Donald Trump opposed the Chinese Communist Party's People's War against this country and its genocide against Uyghur Muslims. Will a President Biden deeply compromised by the CCP return to the Obama practice of engaging and appeasing Beijing? Mr. Trump brought maximum pressure to bear against Iran's nuclear ambition. Team Biden seems determined to return to the Obama policy of engaging and appeasing the mullahs in Tehran. President Trump persuaded Latin American nations to prevent hordes of illegal immigrants from coming here. President Biden appears intent on jettisoning such cooperation and welcoming the coming caravans. The Biden approach certainly can't be characterized as America first. If this president puts America last, our national decline will be his lasting legacy. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy, back with you. I um, uh, You know what? I, I, I can see I'm not going to be able to open the phone line. So what I'm going to do, I want to continue. I have to tell you some more things. I just have to. And then I want to share. I want to share some of your responses on Facebook and email. So today it'll be a little bit different. I will miss talking to you today, but I feel I have to do this because I have to, this is such an important topic, and I have to finish telling you what's going on with this. I was just talking about uh, the, the dangers of labeling us as Christian nationalists, 
and um, uh, trying to lay out to you how this is beginning and how it's starting and how even people from within the ranks of evangelicalism are joining in. Russell Moore is one of them to, to condemn uh, Christians who supported President Trump and Wheaton College, the same thing. Uh, but it's coming from other areas, too. This is just a brief—I uh, I will briefly share this with you. This was— um, you know, I don't see the outlet here, but it's an article by Rachel Mikva. Christian nationalism is a threat, and not just from capital attackers involve invoking Jesus. After a portion of the mob entered the Senate chamber on January 6th, a handful of men mounted the podium. One of them lifted his hands and cried out, Jesus Christ, we invoke your name. Amen. Then Jacob Chonsley, sometimes called the QAnon shaman, took his bullhorn and announced gratitude to God for being able to send a message to all the tyrants, the communists, and the globalists. Bare-chested to expose his white supremacist tattoos, he had paused briefly to remove his Viking-inspired horned headdress and cap, presumably to assume a properly humble posture as he claimed the United States for himself and his fellow believers. Okay, so right there is what I was telling you earlier, that they are using Jacob, who is a environmentalist shaman, that's what he calls himself, he's obviously all over the map. He is definitely, obviously not an evangelical Christian. He couldn't possibly be. He's too confused. Uh, but that's their prototype. And, you know, I would say that when um, early years when I, well, was really, I've been in working in the pro-life movement for many, many years, but I remember when I would go to public events, maybe this was in Chicago, and they would be uh, a, a gathering of, you know, hundreds and thousands of people. And I would see national news reporters uh, capturing the event with their cameras. I will never forget, uh, I'll just mention one instance of a very strange person, just a strange affect, strange appearance, raising their hands and, you know, like jumping around and b- bizarre behavior. Uh, when I, you know, the crowd was mostly like, moms and dads and grandmothers, children in, you know, carriages. You've been to pro-life events. You've probably seen that. But this person was obviously very strange. And that is where I saw reporter after reporter, national reporter. She was the face of that rally. That's the girl, the woman, the bizarre person that made the headline. She was the one that they put forward. She was the pro-lifer. This is the pro-lifer. You see? This happened in the 80s. They made pro-lifers uh, because they controlled everything. They made pro-life persons look like idiots because they did that kind of reporting. So this is what they're doing to Christians right now. So you know. Uh, so um, Rachel goes on to write about Josh Hawley. Within the chorus of critics about that event, however, are a substantial number of Christians who plan to take the country for Jesus in another way. Josh Hawley, Republican of Missouri, a leader of the misinformation campaign that led people to believe falsely that the presidential election was stolen, is among them. Speaking in his official capacity as Attorney General in Missouri in 2017, he proclaimed at a pastors and pews meeting that their charge is to take the Lordship of Christ, that message, into the public realm, and to seek the obedience of the nations, of our nation, to influence our society, and even more than that, to transform our society to reflect the gospel truth and the lordship of Jesus Christ, end quote. 
Pauli is aware that not everyone will become Christian, but he believes we should all live by his interpretation of Christian values. And then she goes on to say, Dan Patrick, same thing. Um, So then she quotes Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry, taking America back for God, Christian nationalism in the United States. And they define it as a collection of myths, traditions, symbols, narratives, and value systems that idealizes and advocates a fusion of Christianity and American civic life. It includes assumptions of nativism, white supremacy, patriarchy, heteronormativity, heteronorm, they're talking about male and female, along with divine sanction for authoritarian control and militarism. It is an ethnic and political, is it as, it is as ethnic and political as it is religious. And then he talks about Ted Cruz. Uh, the, the thing behind him is he wants to take control of political and cultural institutions, religion, family, education, government, media, arts, entertainment, and business. All right, let me pause before I go to her conclusion. The, the, the twisting of this is that, yes, Christians, and I've said this before, and we'll say it again, have no problem saying this, that I believe we need to evangelize and spread the good news of Jesus in every area of life, and that includes politics. That's why I've long been involved in trying to be salt and light in that arena, because uh, we need to be—Christians have abandoned the arts. That's why they're so corrupt. Yes, we do believe that we should use our influence and our understanding of the gospel not to, not to overtake and force. That's the twisting of it. But to influence as people come to the knowledge of Christ, their hearts transform and it changes things. It's never forced. It's just something that happens when people come face to face with the truth of the word of God and their lives transform and how they do life and their profession transforms. And you bet that's what we wish for the country. So then she goes on to say in conclusion, uh, faithful Christians are among those mobilizing to stop a Christian takeover of the nation. In July 2019, the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, again, that is not Southern Baptist, it's a, Baptist is a different entity of Baptist. They launched Christians Against Christian Nationalism, identifying it as a distortion of the gospel of Jesus and a threat to American democracy. All right, so there's, that's how it's being portrayed, and it's happening more and more, and people from inside our ranks, like Russell Moore, are uh, joining in the chorus. They're embarrassed, icky Christians who got involved with Donald Trump and tried to uh, make the point that the election was corrupt and it needed to be investigated. How dare they do that? And how dare they, you know, fight against gay marriage? Uh, (laughs) Don't get me started, but I, I have to finish on this. So a capstone report came out in the fall. I never shared it with you because it was complicated and I I had I needed time. I had a chance to read it this morning and I confirmed with a friend of mine about the research here that it's true and basically bottom line it had it's found a link between the Southern Baptist um ERLC and Russell Moore with a three notorious billionaire atheist leftist and they are George Soros, a Pierre Almondor and uh, Paul Singer, and they are all in all of each individual way. They are as anti-Christian as you can imagine, uh, and there are documents to prove that Russell and the ERLC have taken money for uh, or, for organizing events, 
uh, for doing various endeavors. In fact, Russell is shown as a listed as a speaker for one of the entities formed by uh, George Soros. I, I can't go through all the details of this. We'll put this on our Facebook page, and you can read and share it, and you can see these documents for yourself. And so it's very troubling. For years, people have been saying that Russell was— um, See, first of all, George Soros in particular uh, has made a concerted effort. This is this is not a secret. It's in their own documents that they want to identify evangelicals uh, and people from all walks of life, really, that they can uh, use for their purposes, which are to destroy the country, to break down borders, to promote abortion. Uh, everything that is godless, that's what George Soros uh, supports. And he, he, they have been recruiting Christians, to so-called Christians, to work with them. And Russell Moore is one of them. He's officially in their documents. Okay, so that's about as concise as I can make that very complex issue. It's called the Capstone Report, and we will put that documents link, Democrat billionaires to Southern Baptist, ERLC, and Russell Moore. It's very damning, very troubling. And so this morning in my inbox came this story from the Christian Post. Uh, Nearly two years after a motion to defund the Southern Baptist Conventions, Russell Moore-led Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, that's the ERLC, it was rejected by messengers two years ago. A new report from a task force commissioned to study the denomination's public policy arm has found it, the ERLC, to be a major threat to the funding of the $15 billion Protestant Christian Organization's cooperative program. Cooperative program is what, you know, funds missions, state missions, world missions, and um, the ERLC gets uh, $4.3 million of that, and churches all over the country have withdrawn, and it is causing the Southern Baptists uh, to not only lose churches, some churches are withdrawing from the convention because of ERLC and Russell Moore's work, and I think the article that I just read to you and and, uh, Russell's comments on uh, Christians at the Capitol last week was kind of the last straw. And so there's been kind of a—it's uh, uh, been brewing for a long time, uh, but there's now a, a, there's renewed discussions about what to do, what to do with ERLC. They're costing membership churches to leave. They're costing uh, lots of money to not go to the cooperative program because of the actions of um, Russell Moore. So the SBC uh, has to figure out exactly what it's going to do about this. There was one phrase in this I wanted to share with you. Oh, I think, okay, this part, I need to share this with you. This is from this article in the Christian Post. According to them, um, churches were troubled by Dr. Moore's comments in light of the silence, and that's his comments on the Capitol riots. Uh, the Capitol, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, I'm flail for words sometimes. The Capitol insurgency. Uh, churches were troubled by Dr. Moore's com- comments on, light in, on that in light of the silence of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission during the violent and destructive protests that swept the entire nation for months beginning in the summer of 2020. All right, so that just gives you an idea of what's happening with that and how to be aware. I always think of the uh, the quote from Winston Churchill goes something like this, that appeasers, if, if indeed Russell Moore and the others who are, are trying to undermine their own uh, brothers and sisters in Christ with this kind of criticism in the major media sources, which will only put a target on their back and be a cause of tremendous grief and perhaps danger and loss of jobs for their fellow believers. Either it is intentional and they are intentionally cooperating with evil, 
uh, or they are hoping, uh, as the definition from Winston Churchill, as an appeaser, you know, um, giving feeding the alligator, hoping it will eat you last. That was Winston Churchill's uh, definition of a, an appeaser. So I don't know which Russell Moore is and the others, but that gives you a lot of food for thought. Okay, now I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that you have sent me this week. <clears throat> I want to go right to, since this is related to what I just said, this is from Peggy. Uh, She was very upset with my interview with Ken Cuccinelli, and she said that um, she's a daily listener and a fan, and she felt that we never, we talked about the damage that Christians had done, and Christians, President, I'm sorry, not Christians in this instance, but broader, President Trump supporters how much damage they did when they broke into the Capitol January 6th. Uh, You never mentioned uh, Antifa having a presence or being dressed in Trump paraphernalia. Uh, And then she talks about uh, some of the things that, why she knew firsthand that they were involved. And she was really uh, upset by the characterization, she says, of Mr. Cuccinelli and my, of the people who actually broke in. Peggy, I guess um, I want to say to you personally, if you're listening, I, you must not have been listening to me. You must not listen every day because I have said almost every day that I've discussed this, that uh, I believe very, I've talked about Antifa and Black Lives Matter and their involvement. I talked all, a lot about it yesterday. Uh, so uh, the, you got that wrong. I just want to say that you got that wrong. I'm not sure what you heard with my conversation with Ken, but that is certainly the abundance of things I've said about it, hopefully, will show you that um, I, I, feel, I see it the way you do. And then another email, lovely, before that happened, she said that her husband and three granddaughters were in D.C. on January 6th, and they were at the speech. They started to go to the Capitol, but a policeman said, I wouldn't go there if I were you. And her point is that the trouble had already started when President Trump's speech was just finishing, and he was warning them not to go. She said, we heard the entire speech, and there was no one telling anyone to riot. But she said, Congress on both sides have failed us beyond measure. Okay, Peggy, I agree with you totally, and I hope you'll listen to a couple of other shows, maybe yesterday's, and you'll get sorted out a little bit about uh, how I feel about that. Okay, I'm sorry we didn't get to open the phone lines, but um, this is kind of the news today, and I hope you'll take it and use it wisely. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.